The Snowman Ritual, by Reddit user made this for Tailden. The following is a set of instructions on how to perform the Snowman Ritual. This is a peace and prosperity ritual to be performed during the winter months in order to obtain favor and protection throughout the coming year, and will take three days to complete fully. The earliest written accounts of this ritual date back to the 4th century CE in Greater Scythia, now Ukraine and southernmost Russia. This translation has adapted the original materials used and the wording of the incantations to be more accessible for modern societies. Despite these changes, recent attempts suggest that the correctly performed rite is still very effective. Tradition dictates that this ritual be performed in the days between Christmas Eve, or the winter solstice, and New Year's Day, but in theory it should be effective during any cold period where there is sufficient snowfall. The ritual works best for farmers and homeowners who keep livestock and or pets. Urban apartment dwellers can attempt it, but will have a much harder time ensuring that the ritual is not interrupted or disturbed during the three-day duration. Warning: For your own safety, please read the entire document before attempting this ritual. You will need snow coverage of at least three inches with temperatures near or below freezing over three days, two tree branches or wooden sticks, preferably forked at one end, string or rubber bands, plant materials such as dead leaves or dried grass, vegetable oil such as canola or olive oil, animal materials such as a strip of leather, clump of fur, cluster of feathers, etc., animal blood such as cow or pig's blood purchased at your local butcher shop or supermarket, scissors, a sterilized needle, a lock of your hair, a drop of your blood. At the edge of your property, build a snowman. It must be at least as tall as you are, so be sure to set aside the time and energy necessary or enlist family or friends to help you. Ensure that the front of the snowman is facing away from your house. Use the tree branches on either side to form the snowman's arms, but do not give it a face. That will come later. At sundown, take the plant material, the vegetable oil, and the string or rubber bands out to the snowman. Facing the snowman, you should be looking at your house over its shoulder. Secure the plant materials to its left hand with the string or rubber bands. Dip your finger into the vegetable oil and press your finger into the left side of the face. This is the snowman's left eye. As you do this, recite the following. Snowman, snowman, see my land, hallowed soil on which we stand. Snowman, snowman, bless my home, guide me back if e'er I roam. Afterwards, return to your house, lock the door, draw the curtains, and go to bed before midnight. If you wake in the night and hear a shuffling noise in the snow, do not open your curtains. The snowman is moving about, judging if your land and home are worthy. If you wake in the morning and the snowman has returned to its original position, congratulations. Your land and home will be safe for the next year, and you will be sure to return from any long journey. If you wake in the morning and the snowman is on a different part of your land, take heed. Whatever it is near will be affected by some calamity within the following year. If you wake in the morning and the snow has not melted, but the snowman is gone, move. The next day at sundown, take the animal material, the animal blood, and the string of rubber bands out to the snowman. Facing the snowman, again you should be looking at your house over its shoulder. Secure the animal materials to its right hand, your left hand, with the string or rubber bands. Dip your finger into the blood and press the finger into the right side of the face. This is the snowman's right eye. As you do this, recite the following. 
Snowman, snowman, see my herd. Pet and cattle, fish and bird. Snowman, snowman, bless my flock. Grow them grass from thorn and rock. Afterwards, return to your house. Lock the door, draw the curtains, and go to bed before midnight. If you wake up in the night and hear a shuffling noise in your house, do not open your bedroom door. The snowman is moving about, judging if the animals in your care are worthy. If you wake in the morning and the snowman has returned to its original position, congratulations, your pets will be healthy for the next year, and any livestock you own will thrive. If you wake in the morning and there is an inexplicable puddle of water near something your pet owns, like your dog's bed or your bird's cage, take heed. You should probably look into pet insurance for the next year. If you wake in the morning and the snow has not melted but the snowman is gone, say your goodbyes to them while you can. I am so, so sorry. The next day at sundown, take the scissors and the needle out of the snowman. Use the needle to draw a drop of blood from your fingertip and draw it in a straight line across the snowman's face, forming a groove in the snow. This is the snowman's mouth. Using the scissors, clip a lock of your hair and stuff it into the groove of its mouth, ensuring that the hair does not fall out. As you do this, recite the following. Snowman, snowman, see my breath, drawing ever unto death. Snowman, snowman, bless my heart, judge me whole and hence depart. Afterward, return to your house, lock the door, draw the curtains, and go to bed before midnight. If you wake in the night and feel a cold, dark presence in your bedroom, do not open your eyes. The snowman is standing over you, judging if your soul is worthy. If you wake in the morning, congratulations. The snowman will have returned to its original position, having judged you worthy. You can expect good health and good fortune in the following year. Warning. To date, there are no surviving accounts of what happens to someone who is judged unworthy. Take that as you will. The next day before sundown, preferably when the sun is highest, go over to the snowman. Approach it only from behind. Do not walk around to face it. Demolish the snowman completely. Break the tree branches as many times as possible and scatter the snow around the yard as evenly as you can. Make sure that no trace of it remains. Say absolutely nothing. Once the snowman is demolished, the ritual is complete. Enjoy your year of peace and prosperity. Use it well, for when the days grow short and your luck runs thin, you may find yourself looking anxiously for the next deep snowfall. If so, I pray that the snowman may judge you whole this year and every year following. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum, and this is Cool Intentions. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like when you say it that way. Intentions. I am not going to be doing the snowman ritual anytime soon. No, that sounds like a terrible idea. Why would you ever do that? No, I mean, not. I mean, it sounds like a pretty good idea. It's just, no, it's just Texas. Don't. There's no snow. Oh, that's true. It's impossible. <laughs> impossible. I can maybe here. make a snowman as tall as my foot. Right. Yeah, and the most <laughs> It'd be like a tiny little snowman that can protect snow that can in... protect a square foot of my apartment. Right. We had a little bit of snow last week. We did. It didn't stick at all. It didn't. It collected in the corners of some houses that had really good like uh, really insulation. Good. Ah, yeah, but not, not, not in, it didn't in our. Stick. It didn't stick it on anything in our no. neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. Not at all. It was pretty when it was falling. So in big giant flakes. I love the first thing that happens when we get snowfall here in Texas is everyone freaks out. And immediately mm -hmm. the second thing that happens is everyone that lives somewhere where the snowfall is more prominent 
loves to tell us what a bunch of pussies we are. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's true. are you gatekeeping the weather? <laughs> you can't gatekeep the weather. <laughs> it's still snow. I know. Even if For it's us, not it's five feet. Jesus, We're leave us alone. We're <laughs> not It's magical. Get off the nutsack. <laughs> uh, yes, that was a really good no sleep. Yeah. Reddit, no those are fun. Those are fun to do. So we should fun. do more of those in the future. Yeah, I just really like good. them. We're I like them. Enjoying them. So um I I should really like I really want to point out just for just for anyone that's freaked out by this, the animal blood better come from a butcher. Yeah. <laughs> you do better that. not do it yourself. Don't kill an animal you're or your soul will definitely be unworthy. Yeah, that's not we do not advocate animal cruelty. Yes, exactly. If you do the snowman thing though, please let us know. Content. Don't do it. Let us know. 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so fucking sorry. I still got it. God. I apologize. Please don't don't just like stop listening. How are you? Good? I'm okay. You're okay. I'm fine. I mean, I'm moody. I'm moody. I think it's the weather. The weather's been kind of gloomy here lately. It's, it's, I think this is the first day of sunshine we've had in, in a week. In a week at least, yeah. And so I'm finally, I'm finally getting my hyperness back. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm usually hyper, but right, yeah. But like, I've just been really chill to the point of like meh. All I think week. I'm excited about Laredo this weekend. Me too. That'll be fun. Yes. I haven't been to Laredo in yeah. years. Yeah. By the time this place, I will have been. No, yeah. no, no. No. It, yeah. No. Oh, we'll, yeah. Yeah. That's right. This, by the time this place, I get we'll confused. Be back. We'll yeah. be back from Laredo. No. 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 It'll play tomorrow. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know where we we're are. A little what confused we're doing. on time. So right. yes, we'll be in Laredo. So, yes, after this place. After this, <laughs> this weekend. This coming weekend. Yes. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth. Yes. And we have a live Google Intention show be on Friday night. Uh, you have to be buy the VIP tickets, but you get a lot of shit with that. So it's, it's our, ST... we're going to give you so much shit. That's right. Oh, that's not what you meant, is it? But we, okay. if you want us to, we will. S T C E S Comic Con. This will be our uh, in first Laredo. live show in this our home year. state. In our home state, yeah, and absolutely, in, in, this year, in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And then the following weekend, we have a My Hero Con in Irving, mm-hmm. which is the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking we'll have a live show, but we haven't gotten the, you know, yeah, the detail green flag on right that. Now. Yeah, we'll so, see. But we'll Hopefully we do. Know. Yeah, yeah, but we'll definitely let you know. Um, so that's that's announcements. Do you have any else? We're going to Liverpool. Uh, going to Liverpool I'm still excited in, about in that. March. In March. Right? I'll be going on a, before that, though, Brandon and I will be on a convention, a cruise convention. Mm. Not con at sea, uh, that leaves Galveston in uh, like the I think it's the last week of it's the last couple of weeks of February somewhere oh, nice. in there. I don't know the dates because I don't take care of that. Right. No. Yeah, so. <laughs> I get that. But that'll be fun. And yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Super fun. Yeah. Uh, we're excited. Here, here yeah. we go. Twenty twenty. Let's do it. What's our episode title today? Today's let's, episode. Let's talk about. Let's talk about what we're doing. Today. All right, we can do that. I like this. Until it strikes. That is because today is Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yes. Yes. Uh, so in celebration, this is an MLK quote. Lightning makes no sign, no sound. Let me start that again. I fucked it up. <laughs> Lightning makes no sound until it strikes. I like I like so it. We've titled it I Until like it. it Strikes. And so what we wanted to do, we kind of got inspired from places and mm-hmm, stories mm-hmm. that um, – uh, Dr. King has been. So a little bit about that. Uh, t- today is his birthday. 
He yes. was an air sign, obviously. How old would he be today? Do we know? 91. Oh, wow. 91. Yeah, can you imagine? 91 years young. That's right. Uh, so our stories come from a couple of cities that mm -hmm. helped Dr. King and thousands of other civil rights heroes get the Voting Rights Act passed. Yes. Among other civil rights changes. We're very excited about that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so a little bit about the Selma to Montgomery marches. Okay. So first, there are three groups that are important here. And I thought I needed to touch on them because I kept getting confused because there's a lot of letters. There's the SCLC, yeah, yeah, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Right, right. There's the I'll S be talking about them a little bit in, okay. in my bit. Okay, good. The SNCC, which mm -hmm. is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Yep. Nonviolent is a big yep. key there. Yep. And we also have the Dallas County Voters League, aka the DCVL. So hmm. we have the hmm. SCLC. Student or Southern Christian Leadership Conference, mm -hmm. the SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and the DCVL, Dallas County Voters League. So here we go. Nice. nice. In December 1964, Dr. King and the SCLC joined forces with the SNCC in Selma, Alabama, where the SNCC had been working on voter registration for several months. A local piece of shit racist ass judge <laughs> issued an injunction that barred any gathering of three or more people affiliated with the SNCC, SCLC, DCVL, or any one of uh, 41 named civil rights leaders. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like they couldn't even hang out together. What a fucking, what a, ugh. Piece of shit, racist ass judge. That's yep. what I said. Yep. And that makes me wonder, like, if for families that were involved, how did that? Could the families not hang out if there were four of them? Oh, what you mean the law is just looking for an excuse to arrest people of color? Oh, it's almost like Weird. that's the whole purpose. So it's some real bullshit, and it temporarily did what it was supposed to do, which was halt civil rights activity in the area. That is, until Dr. King defied the piece of shit, racist ass injunction the following morning by speaking at. Brown Chapel, mm. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So here we go. The Selma to Mon or the following month, not the following day. <laughs> um, he, it, it all happened so fast. Yeah, he. It did not he, happen yeah, fast. No, but the judge, the injunction was in December. Right. Uh, the the speech was in January, okay. so it was the following. Okay. So here we go. All right. The Selma to Montgomery marches were three protest marches held in 1965 along the 54 mile highway from Selma, Alabama to the state capital of Montgomery. The marches were organized by nonviolent activists to demonstrate the desire of African-American citizens to exercise their constitutional right to vote. Simple enough, right? Right. Makes sense. You would think. Well. To reasonable people. Some piece of shit racist ass Southern state legislatures. What? Had passed and maintained a series of discriminate, discriminatory piece of shit racist ass requirements and practices that understandably disenfranchised most of the millions of African Americans across the South throughout the 20th century. Mm -hmm. That's when the African American group known as the Dallas County Voters League, DCVL, Mm -hmm. launched a voter registration campaign in Selma in 1963. Joined by organizers from the SNCC, they began working that year in a renewed effort to register black vo voters specifically. Finding resistance by piece of shit racist ass embarrassingly white officials to be intractable, <laughs> this is even after the Civil Rights Act of 1964, mm -hmm. uh, it ended legal se segregation. The DCVL invited Dr. Reverend, or Reverend Dr. How do they say that? Dr. King, Reverend, Dr. Reverend King, I think Reverend it, I think Dr. It's Dr. Re Dr. Reverend. I think it's Reverend Doctor, but that's just, that's just my instinct. I may not be correct. 
Okay. They invited I think as long as you get all the words in there, I don't right. think I think is They invited the one and only Martin Luther King Jr. The one and only Happy Birthday. The fucking amazing. Um yes. And the activists of the SCLC to join mm. them. SCLC brought many prominent civil rights and civic leaders to Selma on, in January of 1965. Local and regional protests began with 3,000 people arrested by the end of February. Yep, 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 yep. Linda B. Johnson was president at the time, and he saw King as an essential partner in getting that Voting Rights Act enacted. He was supportive of it. Oh, he was. Johnson and King talked by telephone on January 15th to plan a strategy for drawing attention to the injustice of using literacy tests and other piece of shit racist ass barriers to stop black Southerners from voting. King later, it's much like, oh, you have to have your driver's license. That kind Mm -hmm, of shit that's mm -hmm. happening. Uh, King later informed the president on February 9th that he wanted to use Selma to achieve this objective. On February 26th, 1965, I know someone whose birthday's on that day. I can't remember who it is right now. Activist and deacon Jimmy Lee Jackson died after being mortally shot several days earlier by a piece of shit racist ass state trooper, James Bonard Fowler, during a peaceful march in nearby Marion, Alabama. Marion's also haunted. (laughs) James Bevel was directing SCLC's Selma Mm -hmm. Voting Rights Movement at the time. As the director of the direct action and of nonviolent education, James Bevel knew he needed to diffuse and redirect the community's outrage. Mm -hmm. He called for a march of dramatic length from Selma to the state capital of Montgomery. The first march took place on March 7th, 1965. And I loved that they marched during the month of March. It's amusing to me. Uh, <laughs> it was organized. <laughs> I mean, it's such a missed opportunity if they hadn't. I know, it's like, you know, right? It's like, we got to do it in March, obviously. It's the March March. I like to think somebody was on that page. Someone was, <laughs> I, most assuredly. Had to be. Organized locally by Bevel, Amelia Boynton, and others, piece of shit state troopers and racist-ass county posse men attacked the unarmed marchers with billy clubs and tear gas after they passed <laughs> like, over the county we'll line. We'll show you non-violent. Right. Fucking And the event became became known as Bloody Sunday. Mm -hmm. The piece of shit and racist ass motherfucking law enforcement beat Amelia Boynton, a 54-year-old woman at the Mm. time. They beat her until she was unconscious. Jesus Christ. The media publicized worldwide a picture of her lying wounded on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. The second march took place March 9th. Troopers, police, and marchers confronted each other at the county end of the bridge. But when troopers stepped in, stepped aside to let them pass, King led the marchers back to the church. Mm. He was obeying a federal injunction while seeking protection from federal court from for the march. That night, a piece of shit racist ass white group beat and murdered civil rights activist James Reeb, a Unitarian uh. Universalist minister from Boston who had come to Selma to march with the second group. Uh. Many other clergy and sympathizers from across the country also gathered for the second march. The violence of Bloody Sunday and Reeb's murder resulted in a national outcry and some acts of civil disobedience targeting both the Alabama and federal governments. The protesters demanded protection for the Selma marchers and a new federal voting rights law to enable African-Americans to register and vote without harassment. President Johnson held a historic nationally televised joint session of Congress on March 15th to ask for the bill's introduction and passage. With piece-of-shit racist-ass Governor Wallace refusing to protect the marchers, President Johnson committed to do so. The third march started March 21st, protected by 1,900 members of the Alabama National Guard under federal command Mm. and many FBI agents and federal 
marshals, the marchers averaged 10 miles a day along U.S. Route 80, known in Alabama as the Jefferson Davis Highway. Hmm. Hmm. Gross. Hmm. Racist-ass piece of shit, unhumanitarian loser highway has a better ring to it. <laughs> or at least it's more accurate. <laughs> Whatever. I love the sweet irony of those marchers mm-hmm. using that freeway. Yep. I'm like, I uh-huh. hope Jefferson Davis was turning in his fucking rotten-ass grave. <sighs> That'd be great. The marchers arrived in Montgomery on March 24th and at the st- Alabama State Capitol on March 25th. With thousand having j- thousands having joined the campaign, 25,000 people entered the cap- capital city that day in support of voting rights. The route is memorialized as the Selma to Montgomery Voting Rights Trail and is designated as a U.S. National Historic Trail. The Voting Rights Act became law on August 6th, 1965. Mm. Thank God that's over and everything is fine and we don't have to worry about anything changing, mm. right? Jesus, if only. <laughs> Without getting into all of that. Okay. But that being said, I'm the sure Selma to Montgomery point, marches but... inspired us to do stories about yes. King and the surrounding areas. Yes, so yes, I'm yes. going first and I'm doing a story from Selma. <laughs> good, good, good. Do it, that do it, do it, do it, do it. story is to set me up to tell another story. <laughs> That's good. It's good. Hey, it's we're, good. we're also a history good. podcast. That's right. So we talk about that stuff. That's right. And it's so important. I'll have my uh, own little chunk of, of yeah. civil rights history to discuss before I get into my Well, thing. and I know that like growing up, it seemed like any civil rights history was just a blip, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what's the, what's the, uh, the observation that's constantly made? And cause I think it's a fair observation to make like black history month also happens to be the shortest fucking month on the calendar. Right. Yeah. Ugh. So anyway, that is the Selma to Montgomery marches, a huge deal. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, voting mm-hmm. rights are very important and we support them. So yes. you should too. Uh, <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, okay. So first of all, Thank you, Wikipedia, for information about everything I'm speaking about. <laughs> what would we do with them? They don't have racist-ass piece of shit. That was my addition. <laughs> they were like, uh, annotation needed? Because Well, I wanted to make it historically <laughs> accurate. So um, then I also <laughs> did haunted places to go, historic hotels, lodges. Nice. Yes. Noise. Okay, so. The St. James Hotel is what I'm doing. Ooh. Yes, it's in Selma. It's considered to be one of the most haunted places or hotels in all of Alabama. Um, Located in the center of the historic district of the town, the St. James overlooks the famous Alabama River. And I didn't know it was famous until they said that, but I'm going to go with it. Well, I mean, it's named for the state. it's a it's a river, <laughs> and it's believed to be. This is what to me is a huge deal. It's believed to be the only surviving riverfront antebellum hotel in the southeast. Oh wow! Uh, the massive structure was constructed in the year of eighteen thirty seven. Damn, it's almost two hundred years old. Based on the date Hurry of up. construction, it is documented as one of the oldest facilities as far as hotels that is still operational in the state of Alabama. It was originally named the Brantley. After Brigadier General John Brantley, who headed the stock consortium that financed the construction. <laughs> stock so, consortium. I just had to, I had to say it like that, sorry. Um, <laughs> it was really pretty, too. Like, yeah. it is really pretty. The outside, it's, so the inside, it's got the rooms and everything, and it had this bar, which they called the drinking room. And they had the, drinking the room. dining room and the drinking room. Dining room. I, I, yes. Mm, interesting. I want that. I want that too, um, but it sounds like a lot of work. It also, sounds like every time I take a bite, I have to then go across the hall to another room to take a drink and, in my and then opinion, go back and finish my meal. In my opinion, every room is the drinking room. <laughs> is that just me? I mean, it's because you're a modern woman. That's right. I'm a modern woman. <laughs> uh, 
And so it also had the uh, New Orleans style French grill work all oh, over the exterior. Yeah. So that really detailed wrought that. iron. Yeah, that beautiful. kind of looks like ivy. Yes, and it's three stories, mm. and it has the wraparound oh, balconies. I love that and the style. one side, there's a whole bunch of doors because it was before air conditioning, so they'd open up one yeah. side of the door and let the wind come off of the river and cool off the Ugh. hotel. And the views are just are beautiful. Really, really, really nice hotel. Whoever designed it did an excellent. I job. mean, just just as in every time, it was really nice to be rich. Yes, yeah, so nice. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, uh, you can... and at the time, it served merchants who traded cotton and other commodities mm. because it was right there off of the river. But it also served high society types in Alabama who would visit to just simply chill out and <laughs> take a load off or whatever rich people do. do. Cool their heels. Cool their heels. They're too busy with all the money they're walking on. I don't <laughs> They're diving into gold pits. Walking on piles of money is really bad for your ankles because yeah. there's no support. Exactly. Yeah, and then so diving gotta... into the pits a la Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> It's, it can be painful. You can bruise yourself. What better way than to go to a fancy hotel? What oh, happened? fucking. What, what, that what? That was weird. What, 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 what? What happened? My, okay, my computer just went. What? I didn't do anything. It just scooched over. That's weird. Oh, let me turn it back. No, no, no. Cancel, cancel. Sorry. Is, is it still recording? It's still recording. All right. Your computer just so my computer had a mind just, of its own. Just changed windows it's it changed to a different window <sighs> some ghost in here is yeah. it just did it again <laughs> i just saw it <laughs> that was it opened word some ghost is offended that we're making fun of rich people oh cancel <laughs> that could have been that could have been for me accidentally clicking the other thing i don't know why it slid i wasn't even touching it it's weird oh for fuck's sake ah for fuck's sake all right we'll stop making fun of rich people for now <laughs> we're not gonna <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe they're just like, don't make fun of your food before you eat it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> back to the same thing. That was just weird. It just popped over. I don't know what happened. I wasn't even touching it. Okay, at some point prior to the Civil War, the hotel was renamed the Troop House, T-R-O-U-P. During the years leading up to the Civil War, the hotel was owned by Dr. James Gee, G-E-E. -E. It's either Gee or G, and I feel like James G. It's probably, it's probably Guy. I knew Guy. I knew someone with that last name yeah. and they pronounced Guy. Gee, what a great name. Uh, that's I don't want to do that, so we're going to not say that. Okay, so Guy had inherited a What's slave. your last name? G? G. Oh, God, Jesus. Okay, you don't have to tell me. Down. Just asking. What's your name? G. G. Yeah. Sure it is. Sure it's G. You're very, very hip-hop. Um, I, want, I want someone with the last name of G to get married to someone named Golly and they'd hyphenate their name. So, hi, my name is Mary G. Golly. Jigali or not Golly G? Or it could be Golly Either G. Either way. God, how do you make that decision? Anyway. Sorry. Sorry. This is going to be a fun episode. Oh, good, okay, good, so good. So G had inherited a slave by the name of Benjamin Sterling Turner from his brother. Mr. Turner was educated and had shown a talent for management. So G actually made him manager of the hotel. Benjamin S. Turner went on to become the mayor of Selma and was the first African-American to serve in the U.S. Congress. Oh, wow. Right? That's kind of badass. I know. And he managed that hotel. Huh. So then came the Civil War and the Battle of Selma. Selma was pretty much burned to the ground during this battle. Mm -hmm. uh, the Union soldiers were taking over. Woo. However, 
The Union soldiers decided to make the hotel their headquarters, so they left it and several other buildings along the riverfront alone. They left, mm. you know, because uh, they needed them. Well, yeah, they needed something standing. Yeah, but, you know, the rest of the city had uh, supplies for the uh, Confederate troops, so they wanted to make sure all those supplies were gone. Yeah. And that's that's what war. Uh, it sucks. War. So after the war, the city of Selma rebuilt and actually prospered. In 1871, Captain Tom Smith bought the hotel and changed the name of it to the St. James Hotel. Hmm. Over time, it's still known as the St. James. Over time, the hotel's reputation became, well, less than what it was. It kind of went downhill. It did grow popular with the locals because of the dining room and that drinking room. (laughs) However, (laughs) guest rooms became less popular as newer and nicer hotels were being built in the area. Uh, At this point, you know, it's what, 50 some odd years old? Yeah. Like Uh, we have AC. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, no, not we, then. We it's have French still doors. Still late 1800s. Oh, still, okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, so the St. James eventually became a residence hotel. Which, oh, okay, so yeah, like an extended people stay. People extended stay, mm. prostitution probably. I'm sorry, sex work. Sex, sex work. work. Probably was Sex happening. is a lot of work. It is, it is. The best work. The best work. Women um, of the night. Yes. Men of the night, too, I'm sure. Red satin. That's all I see. It's red satin. Uh, (laughs) But then, too, you think about it. This was in the late 1800s. So it was all, I'm sure, very West-like. You know what I mean? Very. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, it was very. It's probably, it's probably very that, French Creole inspired too because of the, the Westworld type. Yeah. It was Westworld. It was definitely Westworld. Yeah, I think Westworld. That's what we're saying. So they weren't robots. They weren't. We don't. Maybe. <laughs> we don't know what the alien We don't have AC, but we have doing. robots. That's right. Sex robots. <laughs> Sex robots. <laughs> because that is the priority of a fucking man. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the AC is just expensive. Right. It's, I'm warm, but also sex Just robots. open a window, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, God. By 1892. Okay, so now we're 1892. It was built in 1830s. Now we're 92. So, so, okay, so uh, getting on in years. Six years. The financial difficulties occurring in the world affected the hotel. It became way too expensive to operate the establishment, so the doors were closed on the building, and they would stay closed as a hotel for Mm. a full century. Because this would have been after the Great Panic of 73. 1873? Yeah, which was a big, big... And it was doing okay. That's when it started the world economy for a couple decades. Yeah, and that's when it started becoming residencies, right? Mm. And then, Mm. so by the 90s... Because people were losing their homes and just needed some place to stay, and they're like, "Uh, well, you know... Why uh, don't you stay here? We have a drinking room. (laughs) (laughs) You can open your door to the river. Uh, So, eventually the hotel would serve as a feed store and a tire recapping plant. Which completely changed the interior of the first floor. You would think, yeah. Yeah, they took stuff out. But the exterior of the building remained the same. Hmm. Um, and it's the nicest tire All shop I could think of was all... like, how fucking freaky would that be? Any kind of building that has been partially changed because it's no longer what it is, it's kind of creepy. You know what yeah, I mean? It's, it's like it's like those old malls that like become like I don't know they, art they, they, because there's they do yeah become value. art galleries like art or like galleries, or yeah. convention spaces or something and you're like it's still it's just it's, it, it's weird it just feels well you know and they'll have sometimes like, they'll have churches that are redone like in a mismatch homes, M- and it's like mismatch. yes it's yeah. like there's some feng shui shit that's off yeah yeah I can't play I mean not some, I mean you got to do what you got to do but at the same right. time like every time I walk into a place that's like 
not you can tell that this wasn't you it's can not work being it used for its intended purpose yeah yeah and yeah, it's, it's something's it's, off it's going through some growing pains yeah. they haven't like saged it or something i don't know but anyway <laughs> i read this book though that said that especially like with churches that are changed into something mm-hmm. else that you're supposed to do like a lot of blessing and changing the energy within the space makes sense to to make it hospitable otherwise you will never be happy there or something like that i don't know we'll hmm. see i mean that may or, who knows i don't live in an old church so we'll have to ask our friend that started uh the the art space that used to be oh, yeah. if uh, if, if they did, did that any... if they did anything like that because it's yeah, a beautiful a space idea. but it has that and it, ha- and it but it feels like it's if been the, it, properly brought into its new identity it also feels as though you are not alone Oh well, yeah, but that's any building. That's true. Like that, but it's I mean, that old. But it does. You, you're not. You're not you're alone not. in that building. You're, you're absolutely not. not. I've I've taught classes there, and it's like, yeah, we're there's an audience. We are not alone. <laughs> uh, I think okay. it's cool though, but I think they're very uh, benign. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Just there's something there. So okay, uh, 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 Ouija board on the stage. That's the only option. Oh, I got distracted by that thought, and oh, then God. that terrible thought. Don't do that. T- don't do that. Stop. Okay. Spirit board. Uh, financial difficulties. <laughs> it was probably terrifying to work in there. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Anywho, eventually, an investment group took an interest and purchased the hotel. After about six million dollars in restorations, they reopened. They reopened the hotel in 1997. Mm. Last year, the hotel closed again and was looking for a buyer. Again, there was a lack of interest. It's yeah. not really happening necessarily. Um, and Selma wanted to make it attractive to buy because it's a it's a location yeah. destination and so um they made it attractive a group did buy it and unlike the freaking baker hotel and mineral wells where people buy it and nothing and ever fucking happens, happens yeah they are actually reopening the hotel at the end of february or early march hmm. and i even saw an article that said that they started uh interviewing people new hires on and it's gonna be a january. hotel it's gonna be it's a hotel, hotel. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah, yeah. So, and it looked like... Are they going to try to, like, maintain the look, like, it's historic They haven't look, changed or... the exterior. I think that was part of it. What about the interior? Like, I think I mean, I'm sure they'll add, it. like, heating and AC, but are they going to keep like, I think the, the heating and the, the AC were already there. So, it only closed last year. Okay. So, it was 97 until 2019, right? In, okay, in, okay. In the summer, I think. Mm. And so, that they had AC, they had heat, um, they had... They moved to where the bathrooms, each room had a bathroom because initially there was one, there was a couple bathrooms. Shared bathroom yeah, a shared bathroom. And they were small rooms, which was like a bed and a chair and that was it, right? Mm, but yeah. still, uh, so they, they did all of those adjustments. So I think they probably just went in and did some redecorating and some fixing up. That's cool. I would imagine. I want to stay there. I know so we should like, go. It's not too terribly far away. It's really not. And and my grandmother was, I have family in that or have had family in that region because my grandmother's yeah. from near there. Right. She's not, she's not from Selma, Alabama. She's from somewhere else near there. I feel there. like I'm doing a convention in Alabama this year. I am. I think we're both going to be there then. We should go to Selma and stay in Alabama. We should do it. We'll let you guys know. You can come join us. <laughs> and they'll be like, that's actually uh, about two or three hours away from where we are. That's fine. <laughs> we should have to get fine. up early to make the convention schedule. Not a problem. <laughs> uh, we'll stay one extra night so that we can go stay at this hotel. Okay, so it turns out that the St. James was a common spot for Jesse James. Ah. And where Jesse James goes, Jesse James haunts. He's a very busy ghost. <laughs> it's very, yeah, very. So he's like, that Jesse James. He's one of the everywhere. first like, ghost celebrities. I know. To he America. Very busy. Yeah. He can, he's haunting. Hundreds of locations. (laughs) Two of the most reported hauntings in the hotel include Jesse James and his girlfriend, Lucinda. Now, I'm going to get into this, and I'm going to be very anti-Jesse James. 
fair I mean, warning. I mean, he, not, it's okay. I don't not think the stories, mind. not but but uh, just about him specifically haunting. I think that you know it doesn't that it's an actually. It's not an actually. It's just probably not him. Uh, there are a lot. Anyway, you think someone, another ghost, is pretending to be Jesse James? Oh God, wouldn't that be fun? Just um, for the TikTok? Just for the TikTok. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I said All that. All I can right. think of is TikTok. You don't stop up to that. That's well, not a TikTok. It doesn't. Um, <sighs> I still have to Google how to spell it. We're trying not to. We want to do TikToks for ghost stories, but we would have to learn, and our brains are tired. There was it. I don't want to do it. We're not. We're too old, Jamie. We're too old to have a TikTok. <sighs> People are saying you're not too old. You're TikTok. Brandon has a TikTok, and it's. I love Brandon very much. Well, then let's make him do the TikTok for us. Okay. Do the TikTok. Do the TikToks. We were, like, we were playing a trivia game on Jackbox. He, let, make last him do night. the pot. Because <laughs> I'm like, make Rama. <laughs> we were playing a trivia game last night on Jackspo- Jackbox TV. Love Jackbox. Uh, with our friends. Me too. It was a murder trivia party, which is not a, a, like about, it's not, the questions are not about murder, sadly. Yeah. Otherwise, we just all. Like when I would we so fucking kill win. Kill it. <laughs> um, oh. oh, you laugh at that. Uh, Not really. I didn't. <laughs> you did. We I heard did. you. I it's been recorded. Matt, leave it, it in. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, but like uh, at some point they were like, "What are the whole, like which books are like written by Frank L. Baum, the guy that created Wizard of Oz, the whole mm-hmm. Oz series?" And of course, one of them was TikTok of Oz. And <laughs> someone, it may or may not have been Brandon, said like. TikTok wasn't around then. And oh, I was like, no. babe. <laughs> Dorothy was doing her TikTok. Yeah. Mm. Was a yellow brick I was playing road. one and it was something That's about. That's her online handle. Yellow Brick Road. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yellow there Brick was, Shithouse. It was about, um, oh, what's her name? Agatha Christie books. And I was mm. like, fuck, where is Michael when I need him? I did not win. I that mean, question. I'm just a text away. I know, but there's no time when you're jackboxing. There's no time. <sighs> You've got like 60 seconds. You could no. have texted me and it'd have been like, oh, it's, and then there were none. No, that wouldn't have worked. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so St. James. <laughs> several Sorry, people, keeping us on task. Yeah, several people have claimed to see, have seen the apparition of a man dressed in attire that was common for a man in the late 1800s. He was dressed in attire? Common for a man <laughs> in a tire. Was it, it was com- a tire store. <laughs> That's my first thought. I was oh like, my God. was it common for dudes to wear tires back then? We are haunted by the ghost of dad jokes right now. I'm just happening. picturing a ghost that looks like the, Michelin, tire, man. the Michelin Man. Or the little baby. <laughs> um, oh, God. In I'm clothing. Sorry. And you will not. The clothing that will com- that was common for a man in the late 1800s. So, obviously, it was Jesse fucking James. <laughs> it's in attire. It is a man <laughs> dressed in attire common for the late 1800s. <laughs> There's just no Jesse way to James. say that. No one cannot hear. A tire. Jesse James just, just wearing. one tire. With like, one tire with around like, his waist. He's, he's got. Uh, like, instead of the barrel. He's got a tire. Yeah, and he's got the whole suspenders attached to it and everything. They're very strong suspenders. His junk is just sitting inside the tire. <laughs> now, I like fix to the get flat. technical. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. This... I drank a lot last night. I think it's still in my system. I like it. I support it. <sighs> uh, this spirit is reportedly most often seen in room two fourteen, rooms two fourteen, three fourteen, and three fifteen. 
Okay. I read that these are the rooms Jesse James stayed in. <laughs> However, there's no real evidence supporting that claim. I personally find it difficult to believe anyone really knows what rooms he stayed in, if he even stayed there. Jesse and Frank staying at the hotel is only a legend to begin with. The Yeah, they were outlaws. Would they have checked in under their names? Or, well, yeah, and it doesn't mean they didn't stay there. It doesn't mean that it's not true, but... I knowing the rooms specifically when it was a feed store and it was this other shit for a hundred years between yeah, that and opening. I, I, I'm going to call shenanigans. On I know. That. I just it seems like everybody wants to be like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm reincarnated. I was Cleopatra. We all can't have fucking been Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They can't all be. Someone Jesse had James. to have been a chambermaid. Right. <laughs> someone right. had to have been the scullery dude. Like exactly. someone had to have been some fucking Joe Schmo. Exactly. It, it, it <laughs> does. Your ghost doesn't have to be Jesse James just because he just looks like, you know, okay. So, <laughs> this is what I was talking about. I'm going to get into the Jesse James shit. <laughs> I love also, this energy. I love it. It's also, great. why would they fucking haunt random hotel they stayed in not often enough to be known that they stayed in that hotel? Like, there are other places that they, it was. it's known that they've stayed in. There's, oh, yeah. like, documented evidence mm -hmm. in Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. And I'm still like, are we sure they fucking haunt there? Because uh, why not haunt home? Mm -hmm. Are you right? Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So I don't know what the rules are. It's a whole thing. Claiming James Brothers stayed at your hotel or frequented your business right. and therefore must haunt it is a big trope and it makes me suspicious and I don't believe them. That doesn't mean people... Celebrity ghosts. You can't trust them. <sighs> That's right. It doesn't mean people aren't seeing someone. I just find it hard to believe it's Jesse James. This man is leaving the... See, he's seen... He is, people have seen him leaving rooms, sitting at a particular table in the drinking room, and he the wears- The only one that can accommodate attire. Attire, right. <laughs> he actually sits on a barrel, which is ironic, because oh, he's like, wearing- So it's like a donut, really. So yeah. it was like, he had some kind of, like, anal abscess, <laughs> and then he still has it in death. Like, oh man. Can you imagine seeing that, that ghost? ghost? But <laughs> here's the other fun part. Uh, he also wears spurs that can be heard. Jingling, jingle, jangle, jingling. I got spurs that, that jingle, 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 jingle. I sang that once for Jack, and he I just like randomly sang it because I randomly <laughs> shout out songs th throughout my life. And he still will like laugh so hard he cries whenever really he hears funny. it. Because anyway, so he here we have the ghost in attire from the late 1800s. So is that a skin? There weren't really cars then. So what kind of tire is it? Is it a wagon wheel? That wouldn't have been a tire then. You're right. That would have been just a wagon wheel. What kind of tire? Well, I don't know. Maybe he found. Maybe see. Then it's not Jesse James. It's just. I mean, it's more modern. It has to be. I know. We're going. We're confusing our audience. They're like, wait, wait. You said it was closed. No, we meant it was closed. We're it's just closed. making. We're just. It's, it's a pun, closed. okay? The ghost is not really in we're, a tire. We're really committed to seeing a ghost in a tire, though. <laughs> now. <laughs> now we're going to. And we the just image. created a tulpa. And yeah, right. Let's make it happen. Um, <laughs> and now I want to see a ghost in an in a tire with suspenders. <laughs> And cowboy boots with spurs. <laughs> right now. I want the whole picture. There was someone in the world dressed exactly as we've described. I hope so. Those are strong <laughs> suspenders. It's a tire. <laughs> anyway. The suspenders are made of like bungee rope. <laughs> I can just, I can see this. Down I can see this person. He probably weighs about, you know, 230, 240. Mm -hmm. He's probably in his 50s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's, I just see him. Sorry, I'm getting a psychic impression. He's like, Watering his garden. <laughs> <laughs> he's 
He lives near a highway, and it's just he likes to just. <laughs> dra- he lives but, near. I just. He, like, I don't know. Just, I'm just. I'm getting. Just, Jamie, just, I'm judging. getting this. I'm getting this. I'm not judging. He lives near a highway. There are a lot of those weird, like chintzy metal sculptures in his yard, and he just definitely, loves. There are definitely loves, pink flamingos. He is negative. Yeah. Yeah, and green ones and white ones, <laughs> all colors. I mean, basically, his his yard looks like Pee Wee's Playhouse, and oh he God. is watering his garden with a, a ridiculously large, like clownishly large watering can, uh-huh. wearing a tire, <laughs> wearing a tire around his waist that just covers uh-huh. his junk, yes. barely, barely, and um, and he's just waving at cars. <laughs> Fly on the highway. Yeah, finally waters. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just... If you know this person, I let find us this image Send delicious. Stories. I <laughs> find this image. Maybe I'm just seeing myself in the future. <laughs> yeah, I hope where I don't live the near will. a highway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to live near a highway. It's noisy. I want to, I want to wear my tire in peace. <laughs> and my spurs. Yes. Okay, so this Sorry, go on. particular full-bodied operation <laughs> that people see is not in a tire. He is wearing clothes from the late 1800s God. with boots and spurs. That jingle, jingle, jingle. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we're gonna fuck, fuck we're that gonna... guy. We're moving on to Lucinda. <laughs> Just really, I'm really obsessed with this image now. I'm sorry. I'll okay. let it go. I'll let it go. So, what do we know about Lucinda? Several witnesses in the hotel claim they are able to smell lavender out of the blue. That was his woman, right? Lucinda. Yes, was Lucinda Jesse was his, woman. his lady. Woman, his no one is matter. around when they smell this, too. No plants. And yet, the unmistakable scent of lavender. It's rumored that Lucinda wore lavender. But so did a lot of other women at the time. It's not like you could just go to the perfumery and get yourself some perfume. So uh, it, it, full, it just it's probably not her. It's, it's probably not her. her. It's, probably her. Her. it's probably someone else. And that bitch is going like, man, why yes. do you think I'm Lucinda? A full-bodied apparition of her, a woman specifically, has been seen. But is it really Lucinda? Oh, we don't know. I don't know. I doubt it, but I do think something something is there. Another woman is there as well. I mean, why this hotel? Why would they haunt this hotel? They can't yeah. be everywhere. And it's, it's probably someone that's unknown, but that has a much deeper connection to the place. Right, and that's the thing is like we're pro- possibly missing out on another cool ass story because everyone thinks a dude in the late eighteen hundreds clothes must be Jesse James, and any woman on the same property must be Lucinda. You wonder. You have to wonder if like ghosts after a certain time like just get so used to hearing themselves referred to as the ghost of someone else that they aren't that they yeah. begin to believe they are, right. and like, they fine, kind of I'm maybe the ghosts Jesse have like James. a bit of dementia and they're like, no, I'm Jesse James, and ever yeah. like a psychic comes along to be like, you're not Jesse James. I like, get the fuck you. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> I have spoken. Um, <laughs> Okay, so in defense of this particular theory, there was a painting of Lucinda in the hotel. So it's probably easier to see someone you just saw in a painting and be like, oh, yeah, that bitch was her. So, Especially if you're seeing someone that's dressed in those clothes. Right. But also, yeah, if you see someone dressed in the clothes that has dark hair, it might be like, that's the same lady. Right. Because, you know, how good are you at dis- discerning facial recognition from a painting? Right. You know? Right. That doesn't mean they're not there. Something's definitely there. I think something's there. But But I think we're just wrong about who. Who, exactly. Mm. And I don't know why that bothers me so much. I think because when I was reading, I was like, ooh. Because it feels like like the ghost is still invisible. The ghost is having to like, it's like being mistaken for someone else your whole life. It's the real story. Yeah. Okay, so there are other haunts as well. In the courtyard area, weird shit has gone down. And this has been since 1997 when it was reopened. So I'm sure all the construction stirred some stuff again. And what 
we can hope is that the new construction will stir some shit up <laughs> one more time uh, in the courtyard area, which is in the center of the hotel. So it wraps around, right? There's mm-hmm, a big fountain mm-hmm. in the middle. It's really pretty. Um, several witnesses have observed what appears to be residual hauntings of individuals who are fully clothed in dress that was common in the 1800s throughout. Okay. And they seem to be completely unaware of the living people surrounding them. Uh, so just residual. Kind of like, like it reminds me of the, sometimes the stuff that's seen at like Hampton Court in England. Yes. With like the, the groups of people Court just walking is still around. Being held. Like, okay, yes. there's but they don't they're not aware of any of the living mm-hmm. people around. Exactly. It's like they're yes. watching a movie. Yes. Yes. And so the other thing is people have called the front office to report a dog barking nonstop in the courtyard. When they went to investigate, no dog was ever found. A dog has also been seen by some guests running up and down the hallways, but it seems to disappear when someone tries to find it. And this is going to come as a surprise, but I'm going to say it because a lot of these articles say it. Jesse James had a dog too. <laughs> this is like the yeah the, the dog oh, the dog has to be famous too. Huh? Yeah, it's gonna be fucking Jesse James dog. Why can't it be its own dog? It's just no love for the working class ghost. I know. Why can't it be someone's dog <laughs> that didn't murder a bunch of people? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Why can't it have a why nice? Why can't it dog? just be a sweet dog that just stayed yeah. in that hotel? Yes, like the dog mm-hmm. from Charleston. Yeah. Why not that? Sweet dog. Or Greyfriars Bobby. Yes. Yeah. So let's be honest. I was expecting a little bit more from the most haunted hotel in Alabama. The most haunted seems to me to be more than three spirits, right? And you expect it to be a little scarier. But I think what we forget is... Seeing a full body operation is a big fucking deal. Yeah, it's very, very it's rare. A very big so, deal. like, it's not so much about how many ghosts are in residence, it's about yeah. how vivid they are. Vivid they are. And a lot of people have seen these three particular spirits as well as residual spirits a lot. That's They're cool. seen a lot. So, I think it's not necessarily the most haunted, but whatever these spirits are, they are definitely trying to get noticed. Mm. They are getting attention. And that makes me wonder then, who are they really? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's you know? what they're doing. They're like, hey, we're not Jesse James and Lucinda and, and fucking Lassie. We're, yes. <laughs> we're someone else. Like, help. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder how they feel about it. I know. Do they feel? Are they just Do they know like, that they're they, people, yeah. everybody thinks they're Jesse James. Like, what if the guy is some nice preacher who's like, please don't tell people Please, I'm no. Jesse James. That's not what I'm here for. Or it's a worse outlaw that thinks Jesse James was a puss. <laughs> right. It's like, how dare you? How yeah. dare? Or, or <laughs> Jesse James only killed woman, 15 people. The woman is the famous one and he's just with her and she's like, motherfuckers, she's like, I am not just someone's girlfriend. <laughs> right. I am she's a own. modern woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So and anyway. No tire on her. February, March, the St. John Hotel will reopen to the public. Newly fancified. Newly. So if you get a chance to go, please go and let us yeah, know yeah, what happens. Yeah. And let us know if it's Jesse James. Like, talk to them. Yes. Really, like, engage. Be like, are you Jesse James? You Jesse James? Because I've heard Jesse it, James. but I don't think it's true. If you're Jesse James, knock three times. And then wait. <laughs> I sort of was like, oh, fuck, something's going to knock three times or my computer's going to turn down or whatever. But turn down for what? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we're in rare form. This is one of those times. Let's hope it's rare. Hey, are you ready for your story? (laughs) I am. I'm not. I gotta pee. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Your turn. I'm now. I'm doing a weird one. I'm focusing on Birmingham, Alabama. But uh, full disclosure, when I started, I I started out 
thinking, oh, cool, I'll just find some like some cool haunted places and we'll talk about some famous ghosts after I talk a little bit about the history of, of the civil rights movement and, and how it came about and how the role that Birmingham, Alabama played in, 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 in a lot of things. But um, in the process of looking up creepy history, I found something that was not, it's more true crime than paranormal. There's really nothing paranormal about it, though there are people that claim that there are ghosts associated with, with the incident um, that still haunt the alleys, but they're not very well documented or whatever. But the story itself is pretty interesting. So I'm going to be talking about the Axe Syndicate of Birmingham, Alabama, which if you've never heard of it before, you are not the first. Um, so my sources are, of course, Wikipedia, uh, a Birmingham, Alabama Wikipedia that's specific to it called BAMWiki. <laughs> BAMWiki. <laughs> oh, I know what you're um, right, yeah. I quote uh, a few times from letters, a uh, letter from Birmingham Jail that was written by Dar Dar uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was actually one of the foundational documents or one of the most most important documents in the civil rights movement. Um, also the website Black Then, Discovering Our History, and the book The Infamous Birmingham Axe Murders by Jeremy W. Gray, which is a Axe good... Murders. Axe Murders. I like it. I mean, but I hate it. The but stage. I want to hear all about it. It's a fascinating story. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. But it's it's weird. It's weird. So it's we're, we're going to get into it. But I... first, let's set the stage and talk a little bit about Birmingham, Alabama okay. and the civil rights movement. Let's or were you were going to say something. Sorry. I, there's a podcast. I can't remember what it's called. But it's about an axe murder or a murder, a serial killer in Atlanta. There's axe murdering was a big fucking it was thing. Very big. There was there was an axe murderer on the loose in Austin around mm -hmm. this same time. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of the late 1800s, early early 20th century. Yeah. Axe murders happened a lot because there I mean, was the Axe Men of New Orleans. There was the Green River Killer, uh, wherever the Green River is. But that was uh, <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head now. The uh, Axe Murder House, the Bellisca. Yes, Axe yeah. Murder House. So there's that was 1911. Like, yeah. 14, so like and and there's been proof that whoever did that was probably a serial killer that was mm -hmm. hopping the rails. Mm -hmm. Um there's a book that's been written about that where a I guy know. and his daughter like I talked about it. On yeah, that did, did we yeah. talk okay, yeah, okay, okay, that's okay, good, good. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to take credit for it. Um we like, often... did you hear about this thing I learned from you, Jamie? <laughs> I know, we do that all the fucking time. Did you know that I You're did? Like, I Yeah, I know, I'm the one that, that told you. <laughs> We tell right. each other the best gossip over and over. It's <laughs> great. It just keeps cycling through. <laughs> We're like a dialysis machine for fucking gossip. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, okay. Sorry. No, no, let's get serious. It's serious. Okay. It's okay. Serious. So uh, let's talk about Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, founded on June 1st, 1871 by a group of bankers, cotton planters, and railroad entrepreneurs known collectively as the Elton Land Company, E-L-Y-T-O-N, Birmingham, Alabama was officially chartered by the state legislature in December of that year and quickly grew into a post-Civil War boomtown to rival Pittsburgh. As Pittsburgh. one of the few, Pittsburgh was I a big, uh, was of steel. Steel yeah. industry was all the rage and Pittsburgh was the steel city. It was still known as the city of bridges because of all the steel structures yes, that they were able to build. Um, as one of the few areas within the continental United States where iron ore, coal, and limestone can be found in ready supply, the three main components necessary for making steel. Hauntings? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> for making steel Sorry. and hauntings. Um, the city was conceived as an industrial center from the start and named in honor of Birmingham, England, one of the world's premier centers of industry. So it's mm. it, from the beginning, it was like, we're going to be a business town. Now, a nasty cholera outbreak and the financial crisis remembered now as the Great Panic of 1873 stifled growth for several years. But once these abated, Birmingham 
boomed. The South's leading steel producer, the Tennessee Coal and Iron Company, was purchased mm. by the Birmingham-based company U.S. Steel in 1907, making the latter the most powerful political and economic force in Birmingham. Not for the better of the people, sadly. <clears throat> it never is. Yeah. U.S. Steel vehemently resisted like wage increases, mm -hmm. and they also, they any kind of new industry that threatened, that even was the whisper of a threat to them, they yeah. fucking shot down. Um, and of course, any any time the union tried to get a foothold, they were like, right. nope, fuck you. Uh, I mean, basically, U.S. Steel padded its back pocket with influential state legislators and to help keep, you know, its boot on the neck of the working man. Right. So well, fuck you want to make sure that the laws are in your favor. So you pay people to make mm -hmm. sure those laws. are Exactly. Um, My how things have it changed. Weird, right? Yeah. In 1911, the town of Elton, for which the Elton Land Company got its name, and several other surrounding towns were absorbed into the city. From the early 20th century, Birmingham grew so rapidly it earned the nickname the Magic City. Downtown was redeveloped from a low-rise commercial and residential district into a hustling grid of neoclassical high-rise buildings crisscrossed by streetcar lines. Between 1902 and 1912, four large office buildings were constructed at the intersection of 20th Street, the central north-south spine of the city, and First Avenue, which connected the warehouses and industrial facilities facilities along the East-West Railroad corridor. This early group of skyscrapers was nicknamed the heaviest corner on earth. Um, <laughs> it's real fat over there right, in that yeah, corner. Look at all them. That's very judgmental in that corner. And I don't think that <laughs> we're mean not fat, about like corner shaming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty hot and tinting corner. <laughs> <laughs> pretty high and tall. Um, <laughs> alas, the great- This episode is all about how fucking old we are. <laughs> <laughs> When I talk about the man wearing the tire, it's me. Um, alas, <laughs> the Great Depression. <laughs> Speaking of people wearing tires, alas, the Great Depression oh, right. struck Birmingham like a biblical plague. Um, demand for the city's chief exports dried up, of course, and farmers from rural areas of the state whose lands had been foreclosed on by banks migrated to, by the thousands into Birmingham searching for work. The strain on the city's infrastructure was such that President Roosevelt declared it the worst hit town in the country. Mm. So-called hobo jungles cropped up all over the city in boils. The 24th Street Viaduct, Green Springs Bridge, East Thomas, Pratt City, Carbon Hill, and Jasper things were rough. People were hurting. Then along came World War II. Yay! Uh, the one good thing about it was that the demand for steel, uh, not to mention, I mean, d both during the conflict, but also in post-war reconstruction mm -hmm. efforts, the right. demand for steel rose and allowed Birmingham to kind of rise from the ashes like a phoenix, uh, thanks in large part to the manufacturing sector expanding beyond simple raw materials. So fuck you, U.S. Steel. <laughs> um, industry got its, uh, you know, under competitive, competitors were able to come in after all. Yet despite the city's growing population, considerable wealth residents were egregiously underrepresented in the state legislature. What a surprise. The state constitution required redistricting in accordance with changes in the de uh, uh, decennial census, but the, l the state legislator didn't act until the 1970s when compelled <laughs> to do so by the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark ruling in Reynolds v. Sims. Birmingham voters sued for redistric uh, redistricting, basically. Mm -hmm. In its ruling, the court cited the principle of one man, one vote, and found that the geographic basis of the state Senate, which gave each county one senator, resulted in rural counties having disproportionate influence. Yep. This gave them way too much power in the state House of Representatives. It's almost like the Electoral College. <sighs> yes, meaning infrastructure improvements and various civic projects were left to die on the vine for lack of funding. Rural representatives and their constituents, after all, had little sympathy for urban citizens. Mm -hmm. In the 1950s and 1960s, Birmingham gained national and international attention 
mentioned as a center of activity during the civil rights movement, of course. Now, the city's chapter of the KKK, of the KKK, the KKK, of the fuck them, fuck them, fuck them, uh, the city's chapter of the KKK had ready access to dynamite, most of its members being connected to the mining industry. Poor, largely uneducated whites, frustrated with social changes, sweeping the nation back in the 1950s, and of course, screwed over themselves by Mm -hmm. the state legislator and and all this shit, um, bombed the homes of black families who'd had the audacity to move into their neighborhoods or who who were politically active, earning Birmingham the nickname Bombingham. Now, Fred Shuttlesworth, a fiery preacher, legendary for his fearlessness in the face of such violence, led the civil rights movement activists at the local level, but he found the city officials resistant to integration, much less the repeal of Jim Crow laws. Now, Jim Crow, for those of our listeners who aren't as familiar with what that means, was the name of the racial caste system that operated primarily, but not exclusively, in the South uh, between 1877 and the mid-1960s. More than a series of rigid anti-Black laws, the Jim Crow system was an insidious way of life. People of color were relegated to the status of second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. If that, it represented the the legitimization of anti-Black racism. Many Christian ministers and theologians taught that whites were the chosen people, that Mm -hmm. Blacks were cursed to be servants, and God supported racial segregation. Craniologists, eugenicists, phrenologists, and social Darwinists, what a great bunch of people those fucks were, and at every educational level, buttressed the belief that Blacks were innately, intellectually, and culturally inferior to whites. Pro-segregation politicians gave eloquent speeches on the great danger of integration, the mongrelization, quote-unquote, of the white race. Stetson Kennedy, the author of Jim Crow, of uh, a Jim Crow Guide, published in 1990, offered these simple rules that blacks were supposed to observe in, uh, in conversing with whites back then. One, never assert or even intimate that a white person is lying. Two, <laughs> never impute dishonorable intentions to a white person. Three, never suggest that a white person is from an inferior class. Three or four, whatever number, <laughs> uh, never lay claim to or overly demonstrate superior knowledge or intelligence. Jesus. Never curse a white person. Never laugh derisively at a white person. Never comment upon the appearance of a white female. Wow. You fucking imagine. And that was just like, you had to yeah. know that. You had to know that because no one, you weren't, you did not. It's not like it was, I mean, you know, you had to just sort of know that's how it was. And you you learned because you either fucked up and right. paid the price, which was, uh, if not your life, certainly it was Well, being and the wounded. South is very manners-based, which mm-hmm. can be nice, but this is... It, but not when it's based around yeah, that shit. It, not when not... it's based around like, oh, you're a person of color. Well, you're inferior. Therefore, you must always treat me like I'm some kind, like, like I was Cleopatra in another life. Right. Um, a watershed moment in the civil rights movement came in 1963 when Shuttle Shuttlesworth asked Martin Luther King Jr. and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC, which Shuttlesworth co-founded, to visit Birmingham and make a stand against public segregation. Together they launched Project C for Confrontation, a massive nonviolent demonstration against the Jim Crow system. While imprisoned in April 1963 for his part in a nonviolent protest, Dr. King wrote the now-celebrated Letter from Birmingham Jail, a defining treatise in his cause against segregation. I think he was arrested over 30 times. Yeah. Badass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, quote, I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham, wrote Dr. King, the fellow clergyman who decried the civil rights movement as unchristian. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Anyone 
who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. You deplore the demonstrations taking place in Birmingham, he was saying to fellow clergymen, but your statement, I'm sorry to say, fails to express a similar concern for the conditions that brought about the demonstrations. I'm sure that none of you want to rest content with the superficial kind of social analysis that deals merely with effects and does not grapple with underlying causes. It is unfortunate that demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham, but it is even more unfortunate that the city's white power structure left us our community with no alternative. Mm -hmm. After plying his colleagues with subtle impassioned points of doctrine illustrating the spiritual necessity of what the civil rights movement was trying to do, King calls them out for failing to see the, the blight on their souls it is to support the racist status quo and ends with the powerful words, quote, let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear drenched communities. And in some not too distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. During April and May, daily sit-ins and mass marches organized and led by movement leader James Bevel were met with police mm. repression, tear gas, attack dogs, fire hoses, and over 3,000 arrests, many of children. Right. By September, the uh, SELC and the city were negotiating to end an economic boycott and desegregate stores and other facilities. Then, on, Sunday, uh, on a Sunday in September 1963, a bomb went off at the 16th Street Baptist Church, killing four young African-American girls. Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, all 14 and 11-year-old, 11-year-old Carol Denise McNair. Mm. I decline on principle to utter the names of the fuckwad perpetrators, though national outrage- Racist ass piece of mm -hmm. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Though national outrage sparked by this heinous crime contributed ultimately to the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, it wasn't until 1977 that anyone was prosecuted in connection with the crime, and even then only one man specifically for the murder of McNair. In the first years of our current century, efforts to prosecute cold cases from the civil rights era resulted in the trial and conviction of two men, again, I won't say their names because fuck them, right. who were given life sentences for their involvement in the bombing. Another suspect who was involved died in a car wreck in 1994. In 1998, the Birmingham Pledge, written by local attorney James Roch, was introduced at the Martin Luther King Unity Breakfast. As a grassroots community commitment to combating racism and prejudice, it has since been used for programs in all 50 states and in more than 20 countries. So that's sort of yeah, very, very short version of, of all of that. Yes. <laughs> but... but a little I urge bit you, of history for you. A little bit of history going into. Now I'm going to take us back. Um, to about 60 years prior to the, the civil rights struggle in Birmingham. Early 1900s. To specifically 1919 through about 1924. Okay. Uh, to um, something that's variously known as Henry the Hacker and the Axe Syndicate of Birmingham. Um, if you don't know the story, it's really fucked up. <laughs> um, no, I've never I, heard of this. It's also really hard to research because there's a lot of, it's such a complicated story with a lot of things. Basically, a lot of people were getting murdered with an axe and and like over a period of about four years. Uh, so that like, there's all this, there's a lot of racial overtones to how the, 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 police investigated because mm -hmm. they were like, well, clearly this is this, this is that, but we'll get into that. So almost half a century earlier, from late 1919 to the early 20s, Birmingham was shaken by a string of grisly murders. As if that weren't terrifying enough, over a century later, experts still can't quite agree on whether the crimes were the act of a lone axe-wielding maniac or a whole gang of them. Whoever was or responsible- evil magic. <laughs> 
whoever was responsible, <laughs> the victims were invariably working class and or interracial couples, often my uh, wow. often my uh, immigrants, Italians, mm. uh, were seemed to be hit pretty hard. The terror began in November of 1919 when shopkeeper uh, J.T. Airy was robbed and brutally beaten to death with the blunt end of a hatchet just outside of his store. Another shopkeeper survived a similar attack in December, uh, but couldn't describe his assailant. A year later, in 1921, the murderer took a fancy to using the business end of his chosen weapon, killing three people over the course of several months. All shopkeepers, all killed in or near their places of business. The attacks ramped up in 1922, and though the majority of uh, the persons of the of the attacker's victims survived, no one could identify the attackers. Some, Were they robbing them or just attacking? Sometimes robbing them, sometimes attacking them, most yeah. often robbing them. Um, if there was a young child, he would, he or she would usually leave the child alone. Um, and they'd be found, but they, they tried to, sometimes the properties would try to be burned. Like we'll get into the details of uh, and we get, cause there's so, there were so many victims that I had to pick out some of the more, uh, exemplary <laughs> illustrations of what was going on. Like the ones that are like the really, the really, uh, the, the really fucked up ones. Now around this time, the press ever ready to stir the pot and sell papers hit on the idea that the murder a murderer was a crazed black man. The January 1922 edition of Age Herald published a lurid, not to mention racist as fuck illustration depicting a shabby, wild-eyed, axe-wielding black man stealing through a residential window. You can imagine how people responded. Police cooked up this bizarre theory that a roving gang of black men bent on preventing racial intermingling was responsible. Right, because it's- Fucking it's, projection much? Yeah. Um, uh. Now, all in all, between November 1919 and May of 1924, over a dozen people were hacked to death and many, many, many more were attacked and survived. Many of those who survived would not cooperate with police because mm. they were suspicious of police because they themselves sure. were a minority and did not trust. Well, and also that's <laughs> a lot of people who never who didn't see anything. Probably because if they did. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm, right. Now, some of the more notable incidents. So December 21st, 1921, Joseph Mantillon, 32, and his wife Susie, 20, were robbed and killed at their store on 32nd Avenue North and Church Street. In an effort to cover their tracks, the murderers set fire to the premises. Thomas Price, a neighbor, ran into the burning building and rescued their 10-month-old son, Pete. Mm -hmm. The weapon was found under the stove. Three suspects were indicted by a grand jury in January 1922. Lily Bird, who, owned, who owed money to the Mantillons, uh, was convicted of both murders, tried in April 1922, and sentenced to 299-year terms. But we'll get to that. Uh, on the same night, Mose Parker was found dead and stripped of his hat and shoes in the backyard in his backyard in Titusville. The suspect was arrested, but witnesses refused to appear, so they walked hmm. free. January 11th, 1922, Clem Crawford and his wife were robbed and killed at their home and shop at 1501 Avenue D. They were closing the store when attackers burst in, hitting them both with a hammer or axe. Mrs. Hmm. Crawford's throat was cut from ear to ear. She was buried while her husband remained unconscious. Several bloody fingerprints were found in the ransacked rooms. Several suspects were apprehended and some released because their fingerprints did not match those found. Their three-year-old daughter, Josephine, was unharmed. October 21st of that year, telegrapher Julius Silverberg, 20, and Louise Carter, a black woman, were murdered by blows to the neck in an alley behind a home at 1816 6th Avenue North. Police first suspected uh, a black organization avenging the, quote, intermingling of the races, but later tied the attack to others. 
I'm leaving out attacks from which the victims survived. There were quite a few of them in 1922. Now, on January 6, 1923, Robert John Turner, a painter, was killed at the home of, Afri of an African-American woman, Lily Bell, who was knocked senseless but survived. January 10th of that year, Joseph Klein was killed and his daughter wounded in a robbery, similar fashion. January 23rd, I mean, this is like every few days, Luigi and Josephine yeah. uh, uh, Vitellero, I'm going to, V-I-T-E-L-L-A-R-O, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, were robbed and killed at their store uh, at 25th Street and 8th Avenue North. The cash drawer was emptied, their rooms ransacked, an axe with a shortened handle was found at the scene. Uh, Vitalero, who had regained consciousness for some time before eventually succumbing to his wounds, refused to help police, even when an Italian-speaking de deputy was brought in to interview him. On May 28th, uh, Calguero Charlie Graffeo was robbed and killed in his store at 1500 7th Avenue North. It appeared as if the attacker had come in and placed a nickel on the counter to purchase a bottle of oil. Graffeo, a widower, was found behind the counter with his skull crushed by the blow of oh, an axe and his throat cut. A blood-spattered axe with a shortened handle was found behind the shop's door. His pockets and the shoe's register had been rifled. Police speculated that his killer had tried to blackmail Graffeo over alleged bootlegging. What's weird about all this is that half the time the, the murder weapon is just left at the scene. Yeah. So it's like, who has this many axes just lying around? October 23rd, Elizabeth Romeo. Everybody had an axe. Everybody had an axe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but to just leave? <laughs> just leave right. around? I mean, shit. They still cost yeah. money. Damn. That's true. Um, October, which again kind of fed follow the, where the axe which sort of fed the, is. which fed the right, so <laughs> where are these act like they kind of cut off supply um which kind of fed into the theory which is probably right that it was a bunch of people just doing this yeah like maybe there was uh, the the prevailing theory now is that there was like a couple of people that were killed by the same person and then copycats or group and then copycats were like oh cool I'll just kill them with an axe and they'll put it on whoever else does it so a lot of people were taking advantage and and settling personal vendettas under the guise of you know, mm -hmm. being the axe murderer. I mean, I gotta say, with all this Italian people, I can't, I can't help but think, is the mob involved at all? Especially with bootlegging and... It may, it may have been. Yeah. There may have been, but it seems, it seems strange. Not that there um, is a mob or a mafia. That's it just not seems, real. I mean, it could be, it could be. And, and there's some evidence to suggest that as well. So October 23rd, Elizabeth Romeo, 66, and her daughter, Juliet Vigilant, were robbed and killed at uh, Bernard's Vigilant shop on, two, on 210 21st Street South. The attacker used a meat cleaver and stole $60 from the cash register. Uh, Mr. Vigilant returned home from play to find his older daughter fatally wounded in the shop and his wife killed in her bed. His three-year-old daughter, Caroline, was left unharmed. November 4th, W.T. Conway, a white man, and Jane Jackson, a young African-American, were attacked in a downtown alley with an axe or hatchet. Police theorized at the time that a secret society was acting violently to prevent intimate relations of colored women with white men. <laughs> so fucked up. They'd be like, ah, boys, I know what this is. Uh, March 19th, 1923, Clem Williams, a minor in Overton and Birmingham news delivery man, was murdered by an axe to the head while at his kitchen table. Three black men were arrested in connection with the case. May 24th, L.M. Watkins and Richard Warner were attacked and robbed in separate incidents. One victim was found wounded from an axe blow at 1513 4th Avenue North. This is all relatively close. Jeez. This is all taking place within the sort of market sector. Were people just freaking the fuck out? I mean, can you imagine, right? Uh, when police went to 806 14th Street North to serve an arrest warrant, they found the second victim. Frank Owens was found with a bloody axe in his possession and shot in the arm while trying to elude captors. He later confessed to the crime and said that he was, quote, determined to strike down pedestrians in the fashion uh, pursued by the axemen. 
he was injured when he jumped out of a window during uh, fingerprinting and was sentenced to the gallows. May 27th, J.P. Smith, 60, a night watchman for the Adamson Motor Company, was found dead with his head crushed. His revolver and purse were stolen. Uh, now, this the following comes from the BAM wiki on the subject. Though no, ar but though no ar overarching patterns connecting the crimes could be established apart from the method, they appeared to Birmingham Police Chief Fred McDuff to fall into at least two classifications. In many cases, small shop owners, often foreign-born, were targeted in robberies, some of which were suspected of resulting from disputes between thieves and their fences. Fences, people that... Um, they're like pawnbroker, illegal pawnbrokers for mm, people that mm -hmm. are trying to fence stolen goods. So you. it's uh, shopkeepers sometimes would, would agree to launder uh, yeah. stolen goods right. for thieves. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, potential for dispute in that kind of transaction because it's not exactly protected. Mm -hmm. uh, in another group of cases, police suspected retribution on behalf of presumed victims of uh, 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 I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. Um, in another, <laughs> um, in another group, it, basically, they, they, this is the theory that like these were people trying to kill people that had interracially married. Okay. Uh, from the few descriptions given by surviving victims, police considered all African Americans with criminal records to be suspects. Of course, the media they helped shape the idea that a single killer dubbed Henry the Hacker was to blame for the spate of gruesome murders. Dozens of arrests and even several convictions in connection with the murders did little to stave off panic. Commissioner of Public Safety William Clo or William Chloe, perhaps is how his name is pronounced, appealed to the citizens of Birmingham to stay calm, denying the salvo of gun permit requests flooding his office during all this. He suggested as an alternative that small business owners uh, consider closing up shop earlier in the day. <laughs> uh, Sheriff Thomas Shirley downplayed the murders considerably, chalking most of them up to personal vendettas between criminals. Though the evidence was thin and many victims refused to cooperate with police, investigators came to suspect a close group or syndicate of killers. The KKK marched through Avondale in a show of force that Macduff hoped might scare the killer or killers into hiding. An Italian Protection League also formed to defend shop owners and their families. The attacks on shop owners apparently came to an end after five African Americans were arrested in the winter of 1923-24. At least the brutal armed robberies occurring after the arrests were no longer tied to Harry the Hacker or the Axe Syndicate. Accounts of the number of crimes committed by the gang vary, as do the list of people killed or wounded in their attacks. The New York Times reported there had been 24 killed in 44 attacks, while the Birmingham papers counted only 15 dead and 13 mm. wounded attributable to the quote-unquote syndicate. New York Times was notorious for elaborating. Right. A review of cases by Jeremy Gray uh, in 2013 found 18 dead and 16 injured. And we'll get to Gray in a second. Four more arrests followed on January 6th, 1924. Peyton Johnson, John Reed, uh, and Odell and Pearl Jackson. According to one account, police were led to a house where a group bragged to each other about their murderous deeds on a tip from a paid informant. During interrogations, the Jacksons, Johnson and Glover, were given doses of an experimental truth serum oh my God. consisting of scolopine and morphine. While under the influence of the drug mixture, they collectively confessed to eight of the murders. Those confessions were affirmed after the effects of the drug had worn off, supposedly. Yeah. Furthermore, Jefferson County solicitor James Davis said that the suspect's statements included certain details of the crimes that had not been made public. Investigators, which included Jefferson County Sheriff Thomas Shirley and Paul Cole, chief of detectives in the Birmingham Police Department, came to describe a syndicate of murderers who drew straws for the privilege of attacking selected targets. 
A man named Garfield was alleged to have founded the syndicate, but had died of natural causes back in 1922. Three members of the gang were uh, presumed to remain at large. By February 10th, suspects, uh, 10 suspects, excuse me, by February, 10 suspects oh, had gotcha. been identified. Glover and the group of people suspected of being leaders in the syndicate caught in 1924 were interrogated using the so-called truth serum again, which incidentally was also given to pregnant women to help ease delivery. Mm. <laughs> so, very useful little yeah. off-label off use. <laughs> uh, the drug put the suspects into what was described as a twilight sleep, during which it was thought they lacked the will to lie. A local physician <laughs> referred to as A.A. A. Goldberg by the press to protect his name led the interrogations. He prescribed a typical dosage of four ounces of the mixture. After a preliminary medical examination to screen for conditions that would make the drug dangerous, the drug would be delivered in increments by hypodermic needle or in capsule form. The subject would be told beforehand to remember a number and asked to recall it periodically while the drug was administered. When the subject could no longer remember the number, he was considered to be ready for questioning. <laughs> <laughs> What? What, a, what a solid plan. How stoned um, is, he? is he? Does he know who he is? What he's, no? Okay, let's ask him all these who's questions. Who's the president of the United States? Thursday. He's ready. He's he, ready, boys. He's very suggestible. Let's go ahead and um, right. the usual give methods, him all that information nobody knows. Now, I will say at least the police weren't using the usual methods of the third degree, which involved usually pushing, rough handling, slaps, kicks, curses, terrifying uh, stage effects, and uh, also being deprived of food, drink, Just and sleep. Just abuse and torture. Yeah. Um, the drug was not found to be in Fallible, weirdly. I know. That's as, such a surprise. As many statements made by the prisoners were found to be meaningless. <laughs> In February of 1924, Davis reported that he was convinced of the effectiveness of the serum. Oh he God. credited it with leading police to parties they did not initially suspect, but whose involvement was corroborated by the discovery of physical evidence in searches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He stated that, quote, when criminals adopt an attitude of silence in the Jefferson County Jail, their tongues will be unlocked with this serum, which he predicted would become generally used over the next few years. He indicated that police from around the country had contacted him for more information about the use of Skull of Mine in criminal, in criminal, criminal, Trials. <laughs> criminal investigations. On the other hand, Davis recognized that judges and juries remained skeptical. He did not use testimony obtained from witnesses or suspects while under the influence of the drug in his prosecution of the case. He told the press in a statement that evidence obtained while under the drug will not hold in court unless corroborated by other evidence. Um... All in all, eight people were tried and convicted in connection with the crimes, though it remains unclear whether the incidents were truly part of a concerted effort on the part of some shadowy syndicate. Thomas Lee Gardner was convicted of attacking Tony and Rosa Loreno at, and sentenced to life. Uh, Mac and Sylvester Brown were convicted for the murder of uh, Gaspero Lonza. They were sentenced to 15 and 10 years hard labor, respectively. Lily Bird was convicted in the murders of Joseph and Susie Mantione and given uh, two 99-year sentences. Um, so she's still serving him. Um, <laughs> Fred Glover was convicted on assault and robbery charges in February 1924 and sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was later convicted of the murder of Edwin Sparks. Pearl Jackson was tried in February 1924 in Jefferson County Circuit Court, Judge William Ford presiding. She was convicted of the murder of John Robert Turner and sentenced to death on May 28, 1924. John Reed was arrested and reportedly, con and reportedly confessed under the effects of skull of mine, but no record of his conviction survives. Frank Owens was sentenced to hang for attacking for the attacks on L.M. Watkins and Richard Warner. Almost a century later, 
A crime reporter, Jeremy W. Gray, with the Birmingham News, happened to pick up an old magazine that mentioned a grisly 1923 double murder. With a little research, Gray found this to be just one in a series of such murders that took place in this period, and wound up spending the next two years pouring through old newspaper clippings. The results are his fascinating book, The Infamous Birmingham Axe Murders, from which a lot of this comes, and it's a very, um, it's a good read. I, mm. I, I highly, highly recommend it. It is such a complicated and weird case yeah. where it's like there are so many people guilty that police were like, well, it's got to be a syndicate. Right. Um, which is kind of weird. And it's I'm so troubled by it. I mean, one, there's people being murdered with a axes. lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people being murdered by an axe. And there's kind of an M.O. I mean, they tend to be shopkeepers and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, foreign born. But then the way the police are handling it, it's like, you know, oh, it's got to be it's got to be black folks getting yeah. together trying to kill other minorities and it's just fucking it's look ah and i don't know in a way did 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 the did the police kind of create like uh an overarching rationale that other murders took advantage of like well fuck i mean let's they think right. we're a syndicate we might as well take i might as well take advantage of this and I'm kill this person i have a personal thing against you know why not yeah so but there was never any real evidence that it was an actual syndicate of people that got together and were like cool here's our thing guys we're gonna go and kill a bunch of people with axes go to right they just the press kind of created this thing and and opportunistic murderers that were already going to do it probably took advantage of that and were like hey cool we'll be part of the syndicate but it's just fucking, it's unbelievable. There was this yeah. crime wave that was so specific. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's in the way it played out that people were like, it well, had to have been planned. But it was it's... kind of like an accidental syndicate. Right. There's so much that it's, with the people who won't say, mm-hmm. they didn't see who attacked them. That's a lot of people who didn't see someone attack them. It seems to me That's more likely lot. they're just not talking. Yeah. Oh, oh, most And the people certainly. who would refuse most to definitely. testify or yeah. whatever. And, yeah. and especially back in the day, like immigrants especially were notorious for not wanting to talk to police because right. the police were not particularly fucking helpful to exactly. anybody that wasn't white. Right. Um, or anyone that was poor. Right. Well, and you never know. They want you, they want to talk, but they actually want you to say what they want you to say. Yeah. Well, so in the truth serum anything. thing, when they're like, oh, we can't use this unless it's corroborated by evidence. So, you know, maybe they went and made their evidence up. Uh-huh. You know, so I, it's fucked up. Which I just, why, I just like, saw the story and I'm like, it's so complicated. I wanted to like end it, but there's really no way to end it. It just kind of played out and people were out. like, oh, we got a few convictions of people that murdered a few of the people that, of the dozens that died. Uh, but, or I guess the Makes you wonder old. if uh, some other syndicate was trying to get a foothold maybe. in, maybe. in uh, Birmingham and, and was making an example of people who refused to play ball with them. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be, my thinking is that there was perhaps some, some mafiosi type, or it would have been back then it wasn't the mafia. It would have been the black hand gang, right. which was a thing. And, um, they operated in the early 20th or late, late 19th, early 20th century. And they were kind of the beginnings of the, of the Italian mafia here in the United States. And they were, there's allegedly. a really, allegedly, no, there, there's documents. There's a lot of documentation. I'm going to continue um, saying allegedly. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's a very different organization than exists now, but, um, no, there's not an exorgic, there's not, but they now. tended to focus on extorting, <laughs> uh, on uh, extorting, uh, Italian immigrants, mm, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so they were, so police who were trying to get a foothold on dealing with that menace were really uh, had a hard time because because the uh, the victims wouldn't talk yeah um because they were you know raised to raised to believe that the police were even worse 
you know, yeah. better, you can deal with the Black Hand Gang. You can deal with the police. They're both pretty awful, but at least the Black at least the Black Hand Gang is understands <laughs> you know understands you. Yeah, uh, I guess. And so I think maybe there was a little of that action going on, and some other murderers decided to take advantage of that and be like, oh, one or two people got killed in like a mafia style hit or a Black Hand style hit, and decided you know I can do that. And people will attribute it to this black hand gang. Mm -hmm. But then in my movie, some <laughs> stupid, uneducated, racist ass white, like, you know, shill on the force goes, black hand gang. It's got to be black. So it's a black person. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And then created this whole thing. And the press got a hold of that. I'm like, oh, that'll sell papers because black people are scarier than Italians, I guess. Ugh. And, and you know, it's, it's so fucked up. It's so fucked. And if you go and look at this picture that they published of of this, this of Henry the, the hacker, um, it's so fucked up. It's so yeah. racist. It's so fucking yeah. hard to believe that we haven't come that far. Mm-mm. Nah. Uh, Jesus. But anyways, yeah. that that's kind of the weird, like, that's the weird disconnected and really fucked up story of of the axe, the axe syndicate syndicate of uh, with big big quotation marks right. around syndicate of birmingham alabama wow. birmingham that's crazy mm -hmm. good story good story Thank good you. story Whew. yeah man that was intense right Ugh. i kind of now like i want to i want to show you that picture so you can look at it and just replace the really racist image with a white dude wearing, wearing a tire, a tire. <laughs> with an axe crawling inside. into a window, which is terrifying, but also kind of cute. Right. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. There's really. a lot to unpack there. First of all, he's got a tire on. I feel like that gives me something I could kick. And that's a big window. That's a big. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I have trouble getting through that window. That's true. Especially if it's like a tire. tire. I know. <laughs> It's a big tire. In my in, in my movie, it's a big tire. It's not a little. It's not a bicycle tire. Oh no, it's got a, a cover. Bicycle it's tire. A... That's what it would have been in the late 1800s. A bicycle tire. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway. Oh my God, let's wrap this shit up. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm tired. We've lost it. We've lost the plot. We've laughed too much. That's right. We've. It's a fucked up story. But yeah. anyway, thanks. Thank Thanks you. For, thank you for your story. Yeah, no problem. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yes, yes. And thank you everybody for listening. Send us your stories. Uh, keep that up. And, um, you know, if you can go to any of those haunted, haunted locations and report back, we would love it. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're in Laredo this come see weekend, us. come see us. We'll say hi. And I think Friday night is when we're doing Friday night. Thing. And we'll be there Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. As well, but Friday night's the show. But come say hi. And remember it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on.